So we've got to take a really kind of holistic view of how do we service each one of these different parts of the business because they're all going to have a little bit different needs based on the people that are generally fulfilling these roles. Hello, and welcome to A Higher Law, a cannabis podcast from the Dykema Law Firm. I'm Brett Galbord, Senior Counsel in Dykema's Labor and Employment Group, and I'll be your host today. For more episodes, you can find us at youtube.com slash Law. that's D-Y-K-E-M-A, dykemapodcast.com, or by searching A Higher Law, wherever you get your podcasts. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about employee benefits in the cannabis space, and joining me to talk about that is Adam Blitchock of Capnick Insurance, who specializes in employee benefits for clients in the cannabis industry. Adam, thanks for joining us today. Brad, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. Um, so when I hear the phrase employee benefits, the first thing that comes to mind is health insurance, but I suspect there's a good bit more to it than that. To set the stage for our listeners, Adam, can you speak generally about what we're talking about when we talk about employee benefits? Yeah, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head when you say health insurance, because that's going to kind of be the backbone. And I, I don't want to bore people to death, clearly. And most of the time when people ask me what I do exactly, I, I try to not answer them for fear of that. But from a really high level, if you work for an employer, they're typically going to offer you health insurance. So once a year during the fall, you'll go through and you'll pick through maybe three or four different options for your family, you know, different costs, deductibles, that type of thing. So we're helping put those plans in place. There's typically a lot of thought that goes into doing that. So when you're offered these plans in the fall, you think about it once a year, just know that typically your employer has put a lot of time and effort into it. And, and we're the ones that offer the guidance, the expertise when they're doing that. And so then when you're having issues through the year, when you go to the doctor and, and invariably, excuse me, and inevitably there's going to be some kind of discrepancy of billing or whatever headache you have through the year, then we're contacting with the insurance carriers and we're the liaison there. So high level, that's what we do. And health insurance is a huge part of that, mainly because it's so expensive. Um, and I don't want to ramble on, but if you're thinking about the place you work and you have a family, know that on average, the cost is roughly $22,000 per year in just premium. So just the cost to get into the bar, just, just the cost of doing business is $22,000. Now, your employer is going to split that up a little bit. You know, you'll typically pay a couple hundred dollars a month, gets more expensive, if you have family as compared to if you're just a single guy or girl. Um, but yeah, so 22000 a year again. I, I say that number a lot because I just think it's a ton of cash. And then if you're single, it, it's roughly eight grand a year. You're paying in just premium. So again, all that to say it's important because it's very, very expensive. So it's on the top of mind of every company. But from a personal experience too, it's, it's on the mind of most individuals because like, how do I pay for things when I get sick? It's not, it's not simple. It's not easy. Yeah. You go to the doctor, you can connect those dots, but then how are you going to pay for the doctor's visits? If you have to have 
tests or if there's something beyond a sore throat, it, it gets really kind of sticky and complicated in my personal opinion. And, and that's where people like me come in. So I'm sorry for that really long-winded answer, but. No, not at all. It's, it's, uh, it's helpful to set the stage. And I guess the, I guess the, just to follow up on that is, you know, the big bulk of what we're talking about is health insurance, but are, are 401ks and those other kinds of, of, uh, things that people associate with, a you know, the benefits package they might get from, a from their employer, are those things that are also, uh, sort of within your ambit? So 401k, no. But anything else, a lot of like health and wellness programs will be covered by a, a person in my field, any kind of mental health coverage, anything that touches the health space uh, where there's doctors involved, okay. I'll be involved. 401k is more on the, the financial side. So we, we don't do any business in that area. Okay. So you and Kapnick aren't actual insurance providers like your Blue Cross Blue Shields or your or whoever else. So it sounds like from the answer that you gave, you you kind of operate in the space in between the employer and the actual insurance company. Is that right? Yeah. So that's a really important distinction. We operate on behalf of the company and their employees. So our job is to protect them not only financially, but from a compliance standpoint and then when we think about individual employees, it's very much education and helping them navigate some of the financial barriers that, that come up just through the course of being alive and needing health care. Okay. So turning to the cannabis industry specifically, um, what kinds of you know, differences do you see between what what maybe is available to cannabis employers in terms of health insurance or what is uh, or some challenges maybe that they face when trying to just provide health insurance for their workforce? Yeah, and I, I think so. Number one is going to be cost. And, and one of the reasons I kind of hammered on the, the cost of premiums prior to this was to just start to paint a picture. So if you think of that expense and then you think of the cannabis industry in general, and we know from any article you've read recently, you know that there's a, a kind of bubble that's bursting. There's a lot of acquisitions. There's a lot of product in the market that's not being sold. I think I read in Cranes, um, it was like 500-ish dollars an ounce in 2020. And now in 2023, it's down to 80. So that just means people are, are having to survive on less money coming in, coupled with the fact that health insurance is going up, I mean, constantly, it, there's with no end in sight. And it's become an expectation, kind of like a, a baseline. When you get hired somewhere, the, the expectation is that there's some kind of benefits involved. So just to paint that picture, kind of broad brush it now, the, one of the biggest issues we're, we're facing is cost and what are the ways we can address that? Um, there's three or four different levers that we pull and that's a very insurancy term when, when people start talking about levers, but, but seriously there are. I think, and to back up a little bit and maybe answer your question again, when you start talking about cannabis in general, and this is a broad brush, you have much younger demographics that are going to be working in the companies specifically when we think about like dispensaries where 
I mean, that's where the money's coming in the front door. So it's a very, very key part of any operation is going to be the end. You see this consolidation where there's vertical integration. So people aren't just growing. They aren't just processing and then dispensary, dispensing separately. They're combining all those three things. So we've got to take a really kind of holistic view of how do we service each one of these different parts of the business because they're all going to have a little bit different needs based on the people that are generally fulfilling these roles. So, but generally what you see is really young people. One of the main issues we're having and having to deal with and having to put programs in place is mental health, which gets tossed around all the time. I mean, again, you can't turn on any news station or read any article without someone referencing mental health. But what it means to us on a practical level is that we have to put in EAP programs as like a baseline, but then being involved in education on an ongoing basis is really, really important. So the companies we're working with, we're meeting with once a year, yes. And we do the, everybody rolls their eyes and falls asleep, open enrollment meetings. But then throughout the course of the year, we're making sure that we're putting in place programs that are constantly kind of reaching out letting people know what's available to them because that's that's the only way people remember. I mean, repetition and information being constantly given to them, it, it's there's no magic magic pill, magic bullet, but we we have to make sure that we're staying on top of those type of things through communication and education. Wellness, well, you, oh go ahead. Sorry, when you say an EAP, uh, that's an employee assistance program, right? Assistance program? Correct. So if, if an employee has, is having any kind of, I'll, I'll use the word crisis, but it doesn't have to reach that level. If you're having a situation where you need advice, you're feeling depressed, you need, you need anybody to talk to about any kind of mental health, which is a broad topic, any kind of mental health issue, this program gives you a contact, the first point. So who do I reach out to? Because one of the biggest issues people have when they're going through something difficult, especially emotionally, is knowing who to go to. And so having this in place is that first step. This is who you go to, and they will help get you in touch with, whether it's a doctor, a support center, um, other resources, that they're going to make those connections for you. And that those programs are broad as well. They, they dive into uh, financial issues and things like that, but it's, um, it's the first stop for employees that, that need help and maybe they're uncomfortable going to their family or their employer. I mean, there's so many reasons that, that you would look to a third party. And, and so EAPs have become a really big part of most, not just even cannabis, just anybody's health plans. Okay. Now, you know, you mentioned cost, um, but I wonder, is there any difficulty in terms of insurance providers' willingness to to work with companies in the space, given the federal illegality and the kind of issues that that, that poses, or, or, or are we kind of past that uh, in terms of, you know, insurance companies' risk tolerance? So I wouldn't say past it. There's a few of the major carriers that on the health health insurance side. So think, I think when anybody thinks of health insurance in Michigan, they'll think of Blue Cross Blue Shield. Sure. Uh, United Healthcare Priority. Most of those are going to insure cannabis companies. Maybe 
what we've seen is on like the life insurance, some of the what we call ancillary coverages, so long-term disability, short-term disability, there are less carriers willing to jump in that pool, but there's certainly, certainly, excuse me, still, still a number of options out there. So, okay. Now you mentioned life insurance. I was at a conference last year, and an insurance. Uh, I don't know if he was a salesman. Uh, struck up a conversation with me, and we started talking, and he said flat out, no uncertain terms, that. People who work in the cannabis industry cannot get life insurance, that they won't get it, that it's impossible. And hmm. I said, I, I said, I don't know that that's right, but he was adamant and uh, not willing to be <laughs> talked off his position. So I'm curious what you think about that. So I would say the market is much tighter. It's you're not going to have the same access to carriers and when I say carriers, just insurance providers that you would outside of the market. But I know even from, and I'm thinking of in a group setting, we've, we've been able to place group life insurance, which just means your company purchases life insurance for you. It's usually at a really low rate, a low amount of money they're taking out of your check. And it's for a relatively low amount. So I know that that is out there just because we've done it. Here's what I've, I've learned about insurance over the years. So when you're talking about health insurance, you ask me if the carriers will cover cannabis companies. And then we take it all the way back to the beginning of the conversation where we're talking about $22,000 in premium. So the answer is yes. If you're giving them money to pay premiums, they're going to give you coverage. Um, they don't discriminate against the U.S. dollar. And that's just been my experience. So while some of them may be more picky, um, that there's going to be people that will play in the space. What about size of company? You know, I, I, in my practice, I come across businesses ranging in size from a handful of employees and one or two facilities to, you know, multi-state operators with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of employees. Um, and then sort of on top of that, you know, sometimes you wind up on in the situation where you have a lot of employees or workers, I should say, who are considered and treated as independent contractors uh, by the employer. So I guess, can you speak to how those, you know, size versus employee classification issues, um, how, how does that impact, you know, the advice that you give to, to clients who come to you uh, looking to get insurance plans for their workforce? Yeah. So I think, Regardless of size, the, the goal is, is the same. You want to provide benefits to your employees that allow them to, to be healthier, be happier, are, are going to keep them around at your company longer. So when I just think about some of our clients, we have a really a four or five man grow operation. And then probably our largest is vertically integrated in just over 500 employees. And I would argue fundamentally the goal of our providing benefits is going to be the same in both of those companies. Now, when you start getting into insurance jargon and, and some of the, the different, if we go down that path, certainly the 500 employee company is going to have much more leverage and options than a five person. But, you know, they, they want to keep their employees and they want people to be happy. And this is a, a, one of the ways that that companies do that. 
independent contractors are, are going to be a different ball game altogether. Most of the time they're going to be on their own, uh, going to the marketplace, things like that. There, there are certain things you can do as a company to help compensate your um, independent contractors, but it's, it's, it's a different conversation. That makes sense. Do you see a good bit of that in your, in your work? You know, mostly what we're dealing with is, is W2 employees. Uh, it's been really interesting because we've had the opportunity to tour a lot of facilities, uh, you know, some of the bigger ones in the state, some of the smaller one in the state. And what we've found is that, at least what I've learned initially, it's a really hard job. And it's not... When cannabis first came out, I think the thought was, well, we'll get really high and we'll listen to Bob Marley all day. And this job is going to be awesome. And what it really is more like, especially in some of the grows and in, in the processors, is closer to a factory job where you're on your feet. I mean, many hours a day, 10, 12 hours a day. Sometimes the work is repetitious. So having kind of a, a total compensation package in place has been has been important and the trick is kind of balancing that with cost not only cost for the company but the employee and, and i know i keep kind of going back to that but when we do surveys it, it not just capnic but if you look at any sherm survey it's going to be roughly 80 percent of people right now are concerned about cost and how they can balance cost against the benefits they offer. So, okay, well, I think we've covered a good bit of ground here. Is there anything else that's sort of front of mind for you, or that that you think is important for employers in the cannabis space to understand about, you know, what what their options are, or what they should at least you know watch out for in terms of, you know, the benefits that they're trying to provide their employees? Yeah, I think. So my takeaway would be, be this, and just based on my experience so far, this goes for some of the bigger players in the United States too. What, what they're learning is how to operate cannabis as a traditional business. When, when maybe the idea going in is that it wasn't necessarily a traditional business. If, for example, I talked to one of the biggest East Coast players the VPA of HR was talking about how every time they have a, um, an issue or a question, they're calling their attorneys, which is, I mean, great for great for Brett's of the world. It's great for me, yeah. But <laughs> but not necessarily a like a common business practice. And so when we're thinking about these companies and how they're going to have to use data and make really informed decisions about how they're spending their dollars. And a lot of those dollars are going to be going to their people. So I think just putting in place really sound business practice that starts with analyzing data and using using your brokers and, and using your different contacts is going to be extremely important going forward. It, it, but again, this is just coming from a guy. I'm not running these huge companies, just involved sure. in, a, in a small way. So something you said just now, it actually uh, made me curious. When you do, you know, interact with your clients, who who is typically the person that you're liaising with within the company? Is it an HR person, some kind of other like C-suite executive, an attorney? 
Yeah, I mean, we we try to avoid attorneys at all cost. I'm joking. No, but we, <laughs> not, not uncommon. <laughs> so if, you, if you think the smaller the company, the closer to ownership you'll be. So okay. if we're thinking about a small grow operation, typically the owner, but as you grow in size and employees, um, CFO, HR directors, VP of HR, those type of folks. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's it for us today. Thanks for joining us, Adam. And thank you all for listening. As always, you can find us at youtube.com slash dykemapodcast.com, or by searching A Higher Law wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Brett Gelbord, and we look forward to seeing you next time on A Higher Law.